You're listening to The Unifying Call, where we share the voices of our hospital, clinicians and leaders. These are stories to inspire kindness and courage in the face of COVID, presented by Western Health. I'm Cathy Somerville. As the senior doctors across our hospitals began to plan for large numbers of COVID-19 patients, one of the most senior medical consultants, Dr Rupert Sherwood, saw the need for a joint statement of leadership, a unifying call among medical colleagues in this time of crisis. Hi, Rupert. Maybe you could just start by introducing your name and your role here at Western Health. So I'm Rupert Sherwood. I'm an obstetrician gynaecologist, usually in the role of head of gynaecology at Joan Kerner and Western Health, but currently acting clinical services director for the Women's and Children's Division. So... Rupert, you're obviously one of the clinical services directors here at Western Health and as such you have a very high level of responsibility during this time of the COVID-19 crisis. How is that making you feel at the moment? Well, it's uh, like everybody else, it's uh, come on at a pace which has been challenging for anyone, whether they're in a leadership role uh, like I am or probably uh, just uh, coming to do their daily work as a, as a junior doctor. The, the pace of change, I think, has been probably the most challenging thing. And then I think as a clinical services director and, you know, one of the leadership team, it's become very apparent that uh, the demonstration of that leadership is even more important now and is not probably on a occasional basis in the normal thing you can go about your work and then you've got times when you've got a so-called do the leadership thing. Now leadership is something that you're you're needing to be thinking about and showing on an hour-to-hour basis, uh, which I think that's quite a step up and and obviously one of the challenges. And what is it that recently occurred? I believe that the clinical services directors came together with a united statement. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, it was. It just came from a discussion. We have a forum each uh, morning with the clinical services directors, and we just, you know, realised that we did between us, you know, we were represented and sort of responsible for, you know, vast majority of the medical practitioners uh, who work within Western Health, from senior consultants uh, through to interns, and we decided that it was an appropriate time to out what we 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 did call it a call to arms and i know other military analogies have been used you know in discussing the covid crisis but it really was to both focus everybody on what it meant to be a doctor in the time of a pandemic and uh, also to reassure everybody that support was needed across all levels juniors need to support seniors seniors need to support uh, juniors but as, as a leadership group, we've obviously got quite a collective experience. But having said that, uh, no, we, we all realise that uh, none of us, uh, myself included, uh, and I've been a doctor now for 42 years, have probably haven't lived through anything like this. So it's, a, it's new ground for all of us and I think a unifying approach as we thought would be useful. What are some of the key messages you have given to your fellow doctors in that bulletin? Well, I think the key message, and this is why I did, uh, you know, initially directed just to medical practitioners, was to go back to that basic principle of why 
we chose medicine as a profession and what were our expectations at that time. And whilst across the organisation there's obviously doctors of all different lengths of experience and seniority and different disciplines, I wanted to find or we wanted to find a unifying subject in that. And to find that unifying subject, you go back to where we all started in medical school when we early days when we qualified. And whilst we all might have been a little bit more idealistic at that time, that was probably when we probably had a very shared goal about the delivery of medical care and care to patients. And we wanted to re-emphasise that amongst the whole group. What do you think would be in the minds of some of the doctors at this point? What kind of fears would they have? I think it's not unreasonable to use the word fear, and I think it's best we acknowledge that. And having acknowledged that, we then can both individually and also collectively face that and, and, and deal, just you know, acknowledge what is our fear. And they will be, obviously that emotion will, will vary from person to person. Some of it I think is fear of the unknown, and I think that's shared with the community, the fear of the unknown. There is undoubtedly going to be a degree of personal fear for every healthcare worker involved in this uh, management of this epidemic, and I think we need to acknowledge that. And I think the other fear is the fear of not coping and, and not doing enough or not doing the right thing. And because, you know, medical doctors really want to uh, essentially get it right. And one of their fears is always making a mistake and doing harm. And I think when we're faced with a very fast-moving medical situation like this, that fear of getting something wrong, making the wrong decision is going to be sort of very much in our minds. We have to acknowledge it. And also part of our message was to acknowledge that the type of medical care we're going to deliver is going to be different during this pandemic and we have to accept that and support each other in in knowing that the way we practice is going to change for a while. When you have people around you who are, say, maybe junior doctors who might think that some of these, or senior doctors who might be at this moment not really supportive of the social distancing measures, what would you like to say to them? It's too easy to not take the social distancing message clearly enough. And I think all of us, since we heard about social distancing and we started practising it, have probably just gone, well, probably this is all right or probably, you know, I'll be okay. We've now reached that point and uh, if I can use an example, I've got four adult children and I sent a text to them this morning saying this is the time to get serious about, they're, they're, they're all in their 30s, this is the time to get serious about social distancing. This is now going to make a, a difference to hundreds if not thousands of lives I want you to read this message and I want each of you to send it to five of your friends and ask them to send it to five more of their friends. And I got replies from my four adult children within 10 minutes to say, we've done it. That sounds like a great idea and maybe something that could be done here at Western Health among our own colleagues. Yeah, I think it is this, the seriousness of the messages. I, like many others, think the next... 10 to 14 days are going to be probably the most critical time in the trajectory of this pandemic. Uh, and uh, so, and I think social distancing, we've got various strategies, but 
that uh, when you're dealing with a virus, uh, as I remind people, it really needs a person in, in, in which to, to live and uh, divide. So if we can keep the persons apart, uh, we really, this is how we can make a difference. What about the staff in Western Health who support the work of doctors but who are not doctors, even people like ward clerks who are very important in the wards and cleaners? Can you tell us about where you see their role and uh, what message do we think we should give to those, those people? Look, one of the great things about Western Health is its inclusiveness of all the people who come under the banner of Western Health employees, the Western Health family. And one of the great things that has attracted and, uh, and again, kept me with this organisation is, is that inclusiveness and that message comes from the CEO down through uh, all the staff. And, of course, all the people that are supporting the work of the hospital are incredibly important. And I think there's a couple of things along that with that point. One is that to keep in mind that our medical knowledge as doctors, and uh, most of us have uh, you know, gone back and dragged up our knowledge of virology, and uh, we've all become sort of uh, you know, epidemiologists in the last two weeks. But our medical knowledge is helpful in us coming to terms and dealing with our fears and, and sorting out the, you know, the, the rational news from the less rational. I think people without a medical background, that may be a little bit more difficult, and I think that's why it's this time it's so incredibly important that we use that medical knowledge to be a reassurance and to be reassuring to, to other staff and, and support them, answer their questions uh, clearly. And the other thing is, you know, it's I'm terribly impressed to hear uh, our infectious disease lead talk about the part of the management of this has been kindness. And that's great to include that message amongst the other medical and epidemiological messages. And this is where the non-medical staff are going to be really benefit when there's kindness coming from those people who they see as the people probably with the knowledge and people who are making the decisions about how the organisation is going to respond. Reassurance and kindness from those people will definitely should make their working day a little bit less fearful. Would you think that the ward clerks, for example, should feel confident to say to a doctor of any seniority, please move back, I would like a little more distance? I think that if that's it, that certainly should be the case. If there's anywhere I've worked in the last four decades where that is possible and likely to be okay, it's this organisation. So I have confidence in this organisation that can be the case. I think if we see or hear of examples where that's not the case, like all our other policies about behaviour, we've got to, even more so now, we've got to call that out. Uh, in a nice way and take the, our colleague aside if, if we feel they're not behaving well and, and just try and correct that. And I guess you, like all of us, are seeing a lot of the coverage on television and other media, which is quite daunting coming out of Italy. How does that feel for you as a senior doctor? Look, it, it, the rest of the world, uh, what's happening in the rest of the world, in certainly parts of the world, uh, Europe, uh, Italy, Spain, is obviously frightening when we read the statistics and we, we look at that partly to generate a sense of urgency within ourselves, but we also probably partly look at it and hopefully say we're doing better than that, we're going to be ahead of the curve, let's hope you know that doesn't happen to us. We don't know that that's going to be the case, 
the other thing that I'm mindful of is areas of the world where we're almost certain it's going to be a massive problem, but the news isn't isn't on hand yet because the numbers aren't being counted. And I particularly think of the uh, the Indian subcontinent and the African countries and the South American countries, and I think there's going to be a a massive problem there that we that we can't ignore, but we're not yet. We haven't got a, a handle on yet. I guess there'll also be some difficult decisions in the time ahead around access to high-level care. What are your thoughts about that? I think that, firstly, we have to accept that uh, the, the, the very real possibility of those decisions have to be made. I'm, again, heartened that we've got ahead of the game and we've formed a specific uh, small ethics group that will handle that. But that group will have to act on information received from the front line. I think this aspect of care is one where the senior doctors really do need to step up and help make those decisions. There are many, many things that doctors who have been qualified one or two years can do much better than me now. But in terms of this sort of decision-making there's no doubt that doctors with, with uh, two, three or four decades of practice behind them are going to be able to uh, be in better position to help make these very difficult decisions and I think that the senior clinicians will need to step up to this. Have you been in touch with any of your colleagues from other countries who are in the middle of this right now? I haven't actually, to be honest. The only person I've talked to is a colleague in Laos who I sometimes go and do some work with uh, and that's the country where... The numbers aren't being kept and they've no idea what's happening. But you can assume, and having worked there, worked in the healthcare system there, I can assume that uh, when it happens it will have a you know, very bad outcome. How are you feeling about the preparations that Western Health is making now? I think we're doing well. Uh, we've each got our little sort of points that we're trying to push a bit harder and little points where we, you know, we, we want to go a bit faster but overall, I think the organisation has responded very well. Now, I don't have a lot to compare it with, and obviously we don't have a past pandemic to measure it against. One of the things I think our preparation is good. I think one of the things that if you want to look for what good comes out of this, there's several things. I mean, I think one of the things is how we interact with each other is definitely going to benefit from this sort of crisis. I think the other thing is that some of the ways we're looking at working differently will absolutely have a spin-off on how we can deliver more efficient but continue to provide best care after we get to the other side of this pandemic. So some people are having a lot of difficulty seeing that there will be an other side of the pandemic. I think that's true to a certain extent, and that's partly because no-one knows, And so, but we don't like saying we don't know, so people do modelling and give us numbers and tell us we're this far along this path. I'm essentially an optimist so I, I usually will focus not unrealistically but you know would say that we should not catastrophize too much about how long this is going to take I'm personally working in two week obviously I'm working day to day with the teams I'm on and the decisions we're making but in my sort of medium my long game at the moment is a two-week time frame which is slightly unusual but uh, so I'm working in sort of where are we going to be in two weeks? I'm, I'm trying not to sort of focus too much on, you know, what if this is still bad in July or September or October. That's how I'm personally managing. 
You would obviously have some doctors who are home at the moment, possibly self-isolating, perhaps they're waiting for results of a test. How is that all going? You know, look, so far that's fine. We've set up very good lines of communication where, where the uh, we've got a very good knowledge of who's where and what's happening under both junior and senior medical staff. And again, the medical workforce unit and the uh, medical management within this organisation has been very proactive in, in getting that all working. I'm getting great support from all members of my team and I look, I'm comfortable with that and uh, I know that that situation's changing from day to day and I know the situation probably in two, four or six weeks will be very different than it is now, but we've put things in place to manage as best we can even when that situation happened. I imagine that doctors will be asked to work outside their normal areas of specialty at some point. Is that something that you can find difficult? I think that will be challenging and, and it depends on your area of specialty. So clearly, you know, physicians with general training earlier in their careers can quite probably without too much stress step back to managing the, you know, the primary problems of respiratory and, and cardiac complications of the COVID-19 infection whereas obviously someone who's been doing a specialised type of plastic surgery for the last 30 years is probably not going to be as comfortable. But we, I'm sure we will find areas where each person can step up and help in other ways. I, I think the essential nature of people who, who take up medicine, even if they do you know, end up in a very specialised area, uh, they're still able to turn their hand to that sort of that more holistic approach and I think we'll see quite a lot of that over the next few months. I understand that there's quite some confusion, maybe uncertainty and different views about which PPE should be used, when it should be used, how well it should be conserved, should it be used now rather than later, all these kinds of things. What do you feel about that? I think that's right. Putting aside the uncertainties about the length, duration and severity of the whole pandemic, I think one of the big issues that we are facing is is an acknowledged worldwide shortage of uh, PPE and then the uh, correct sort of utilisation of what we have and the different levels of anxiety about the use of PPA of various forms amongst the frontline workers who are actually face-to-face with the patient. And I think this is an acknowledged bias myself here having watched some webinars from overseas as to how this has been approached in different countries and the approach has been varied and there's you know so there certainly are people who feel that the um, you know level of PPE for healthcare workers just in the general workplace should be increased but everybody acknowledges that a couple of things one is there is a shortage and the other is that we need a uniform approach that's endorsed by the very senior levels of the hospital and the organisation uh, to manage this because to everyone to go their own path uh, will lead to uh, chaos and arguments you know, about why is someone doing something and someone doing something else. So, again, I've pushed for the... and they have responded to the leadership to make clear statements on this and I'm confident that will be forthcoming. I guess it's a case of... Let's talk about the shortage because the shortage is a very real part of our existence at the moment. So best case scenario of having vast amounts of PPE and not a situation we're in currently. So 
is that a consideration as well in terms of what should be used at which time? When it's low risk now, it might be higher, much higher risk later. Yes, and I, I think a conservative policy is obviously sensible and I think that we, as long as clinicians continue to have an input into that policy, I'm comfortable. The issue of, you know, if we... There's a couple of issues. I mean, one is if we get to a real shortage then obviously that, that conservative policy would tighten up. I hope we don't get to that. And I think uh, regard PP as something that we should be able to manufacture here in Australia, and I think that'll be winding up. And I'm again, it's the optimist in me, but I'm looking at PP as a bit like the uh, shelves in my local supermarket, with, but with a slightly longer time frame. So I think we'll, we'll get in a better situation with PPE, and I'm hoping we'll get in that better situation before the uh, the full sort of the peak of cases and the requirement for PPE uh, hits us. And so I'm going to maintain that positivity about that. To do otherwise will just uh, add to my um, already slightly sleepless nights. Sure. And our community perhaps have quite a bit they could contribute even down to things like sewing basic surgical masks. Now, I think we all know that that would be an option of last resort but it could be a stockpile that's sitting there useful for someone to use at some time and perhaps the best outcome is it might never need to be used at all. But uh, do you think it's great to see the community being prepared to do what they can? Yes, I think there's two areas. Obviously lots of areas the community can support us and do. And again, you know, Western Health, we've got a great history of community support. So we, we know they're there for us and we're not we're not calling on them for the first time. But I think with the face masks, you know, we know we can produce cloth face masks. They're inferior to, you know, the standard surgical and certainly inferior to the high-level face masks, but they may provide some protection. I think the other area that we could call on the community is to increase our number of surgical scrubs or or basically workwear. You know, we call them surgical scrubs because they're generally used in the operating theatre. But, of course, now, you know, I think it's quite reasonable that most healthcare workers... And, and, and not only doctors, but other anyone with patient contact would probably prefer to be wearing some clothing that they could take off at the end of the day and put their street clothes back on. You know, the surgical scrubs that we use uh, look to me to be, without any sewing experience, a fairly simple design. And I think we could probably get the community sewing and we provide them with the material. I think that's a great area that we could be moving on now to really increase our number of surgical scrubs. And Probably we can't manage a huge increase in our turnover of linen through the laundry service, but uh, you know we can give people instructions as to what's the right way to wash these things. They keep them for themselves. I think that's something we could be moving on, yes. Is it lovely to hear that the community wants to help in this way? I think it's great. And I, I think if your community is ready to help, what that reflects to me is, is the community has a sense of ownership of your healthcare organisation. The community trusts you and the community has a, an experience of you doing the right thing by them. And I think Western Health can be rightly proud that, uh, that that's the situation for us. Of course, there are pockets of, will be episodes of dissatisfaction with our health service. But again, I think our health service responds really well to those and addresses them. So I think that maintains our community, their standing in the community. Do you think we have a couple of other strengths in terms of the nature of Western Health that would help us through a crisis of this kind? Well, again, I, look, I think it's that sort of good connection between the uh, from the very senior levels of management uh, throughout the organisation. 
I think that's important. I think the things that we do on a regular basis, you know, like the People Matters survey and the, the various forums and sort of social things that people hold, which we can't now, of course, I think they sort of set the scene. I feel there is a real sense of belonging to this organisation. And again, I think that that's present in every organisation, but I feel it's just a little bit different in this one in a very, in a very positive way. Thank you for your time, Rupert, and good luck in the weeks ahead. The pleasure. This has been The Unifying Call, presented by Western Health. Please share this episode with five colleagues so these stories can reach and inspire more people. For more information, follow the links in the podcast description.